you are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week, we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the brew session, Chrome host Seed Shark is the host with the most, with jaw-dropping potential in Modern and Pioneer. We've got seven new decks ready to take a bite out of the metagame. This is Shark Week, presented by Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan, joining you today from the far side of the world, from Shinsu, Taiwan, the Windy City. And I'm joined by a familiar face, back for the third time in just a month. It's our friend, Lawson Zandi. Lawson, welcome. Howdy. It's good to be back. Yeah, good to see you. You know, ever since you took off for Dallas... I felt no need to stay anymore, so just hopped on a plane. I'm here visiting my grandmother for the next few weeks, so if you hear a bit of uh, what sounds like Chinese cafe chatter going on behind me, that, that's what's going on. Uh, yeah, I, I travel three hours north, and for some reason, Dan wants to take 13-hour time zone difference the other way, so I'm, I'm sorry for leaving. Uh, I'll, I'll be back, I promise, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Lawson, so Dan, we've been talking about this set. We've been planning, we've been plotting, ranking everything. It's finally time. The time is here. The set is out, and it's finally time to put these cards to the test. How you feeling? I am ready to burn some play points. I've been stacking them up, and it's ready to give them back to the community. <laughs> You're like a bear fattening up before hibernation for the lean winter. <laughs> So if I remember correctly, when you were on for one of our set release, set review rather, episodes, you really liked this card. We're going to talk about the Chrome host Seed Shark. I think you ranked this as one of your top cards, is that fair to say? Uh, Yes, this is actually the card that I was the most excited about individually. Um, Of course, I am going to do some exploring with the battles, but for singular one-named cards in the set, the, the Seedborn Shark is what I'm all about. Seedborn Shark. I liked it a lot. My top card, David's top card. We have to start with this. It cannot possibly be as good as we think it is. So we're just going to get this out of our system and find out right off the <laughs> bat. So that is the order of business for today. We've got a, a full brew session exploring everything there is to know about making sharks, making incubators, making little Phyrexian blobs. Both in Pioneer and in Modern, uh, we got a bunch of deck lists here and a bunch of other potential synergies that I want to talk about. So that's the plan of attack for today. Before we dive into all that, just a quick reminder at the very top that if you enjoy the program, if you're a fan of the show and would like to help support what we do here at Faithless Brewing, the best way to do that is by joining our Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Make a pledge at any tier you like. That gives you immediate access to our wonderful Discord community. The new set release always the best time to be hopping in the Discord. There's all kinds of wild ideas being thrown around. I can't wait to see how it all plays out. 
All right, Lawson. Chrome host Seedshark, walk me through the card. What do you see here? And what are some things we should be thinking about? Absolutely. So um, just to read the card aloud, in case someone's been living underneath a rock and has not heard us uh, talk about this card in the past couple weeks. Chrome host Seedshark is from the newest set. It's one blue and two for a three mana, two four a flyer, Phyrexian Shark. Yes, they have Phyrexianized a shark. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you get to incubate X, where X is that spell's mana value. Going back on incubate, incubate, you make a token with counters on it, and then for two mana, you can transform it into a 0-0 Phyrexian artifact creature with those counters on it. So these are technically double-faced tokens. They start as nothing, right? Just objects with counters on them, and then when you're ready to activate them... Yes. Then they're a creature ready to attack and block, um, potentially even with haste, if you you know don't pay the mana until you're ready to attack. Yes. Uh, on their front side, they have no text other than artifact and two mana transformers. So with the Chrome host Seed Shark, this is a very cool implementation of Incubate. You know, we see a lot of Incubate 2 in the set, some Incubate 3. Yeah, I think there's like an Incubate 5 draft common and like some Incubate 1. This is Incubate X. X. And I think that's really captured our imagination here because it's checking the mana value of any non-creature spell. And it's, it's mana value, not the amount of mana paid. So they're really inviting you to just go hog wilds, right? Choose cost reduction, choose whatever you can think of. The most expensive number you can get in the upper right-hand corner of your non-creature spell, that's going to get you just a huge incubator. So in that respect, I mean, that's the exact same text as Shark Typhoon, although it's on a creature that maybe resembles more Young Pyromancer, Third Path Iconoclast, or uh, at three mana, Sahili Sublime Artificer, or even uh, Psy Master Thopterist. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the, the Seed Shark is such an exciting card for brewing for two reasons. Uh, one, it makes game objects. Rectangle Theory is uh, alive and well. And that X means that, you know, not only does casting a bunch of things get you a bunch of tokens, but casting singular big things gets you big tokens. So, um, you know, both ways to, to play on it. There are, might be some decks that are interested in flooding the board with a bunch of hard-to-interact artifacts to make affinity happen. Uh, there might be decks that want to put, you know, 12 to 15 counters on this uh, token and then flip it and have a, a big uh, piece of battle. So... Uh, you know, a lot, lot to explore, definitely, the shark. So you said hard to interact with tokens. You're referring to the fact that they're, they're not creatures yet. Um, so are you seeing that as a potentially a benefit, or is that just a big drawback that we're really not acknowledging? The fact that these tokens don't do anything until you invest further mana in them. I think that it is a really big benefit. Um, we've had cards like Psy. Uh, Master Thopterus that, you know, every time you play an artifact, you get a 1-1 Thopter. Uh, at the end of the day, if you make 15 Thopters and your opponent plays a single Wrath of God, you don't have anything else to show for it, you know? Um, but this, you know, having your things stay around until they are ready to attack is pretty exciting, pretty interesting, um, and, you know, lets you turn on some you know, new, new dimensions, to say, which is something that I am looking for in cards when they get printed. Uh, Modern has become such a big format that there is something to do in every different fashion. So getting a, a new approach on it, you know, might open some new doors. 
All right. Now I just want to ask you a little bit more about these closest comparisons. Let's start with Shark Typhoon. I hear this said quite a lot. This is just worse than Shark Typhoon. How do you feel about that statement? Or rather, it's no Shark Typhoon, I should say. That's the most common thing I ever said. Mm. Um, so uh, they're just very different cards, you know? Shark Typhoon costs six mana. Um, and the turn that you play it, you still don't have anything to show for it, you know? If you play your Shark Typhoon for six mana and then pass, and then have to wait for it to come back to your turn, you might just die. Or your Shark Typhoon might just die. So, you know, you're, you are giving up a whole lot in time you cast Shark Typhoon. Most of the time when people are doing something cool with Shark Typhoon, they're cycling it, you know, and they're getting the token. So saying it's, you know, just strictly worse than Shark Typhoon or it's no Shark Typhoon uh, is, you know, very much skipping the idea of getting the big tokens off of Shark Typhoon most of the time. I will also say this being a creature does mean that it's going to be easier um, to get back. So if something ever does happen to it, you know, you can't unearth Shark Typhoon, you can unearth um, Chrome Host Sea Shark. So uh, there definitely is some more excitement on you know, recursiveness in that aspect as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Similar to you know, unearthing a Monastery Mentor, right? It's, it's still at that sweet spot on the curve. Not quite as explosive as the two mana cards, but in exchange, you get that four toughness. In Pioneer, that's a pretty good stat line. Three mana, four toughness means you're out of range of Fire Impulse, you're out of range of Unkicked Fatal Push, of Bonecrusher Giant. Does mean that, at least in Pioneer, you're not going to get that trigger until you have at least, you know, your fourth turn. In Modern, however, you can get free, right? You can slam your Seed Shark, you can immediately follow that up with a free spell, Force Negation to protect it, Pitch two cards, but you got an incubator back. So it's it's going to really provide us with some interesting opportunities in both formats. The other part about the Shark Typhoon comparison that I think people haven't quite grappled with yet is that we collectively do not realize how good Shark Typhoon is. Because it's just so expensive that you just can't actually build around it. You can't build your deck imagining that Shark Typhoon is in play. So no one has ever really tried. Like, I've never heard anyone say, hey, Shark Typhoon is so powerful with Leyline Binding. It is powerful, but, you know, that's just like, that's an accident. That's like a bonus that happens when the game is pretty much over. It's a lot different when it's turn three or turn four, and you can actually engineer this situation and get that 6-6 when you want it. Um, so I think that, yeah, just being in a different spot on the curve makes it totally different horizons of brewing for the Seed Shark versus the Shark Typhoon. Absolutely. Yeah, the um, the fact that you can now have something that is consistent early game. And like you said, you know, formats like modern might not, um, you know, matter that it has four toughness, you know, because Unholy Heat is still around and Solitude is around. So the, the sizing doesn't matter uh, as much. But in Pioneer, three mana, two, four flyer, that's a real stat line, you know, that's a ledger shredder with a counter on it, you know. Uh, so that is something to be kind of excited about. Uh, and so you know, it is something that I think will play well, um, even in those letter shorter decks as well. So, All right, before we jump into deck lists, I want to talk a little bit about some of the pieces we might want to pair with the Chrome Host Seed Shark. Not all of these have made it into our decks yet, but these are all things that I've been thinking about, or these are just other directions we might want to explore. The two big topics, I think, are A, Cost reduction on your non-creature spells so that you can get more than you bargain for with this Chrome Host Seed Shark trigger. And B, there's a question of 
what do we do with the incubator token once we have it, right? If I want it to become a creature, I do have to flip it somehow. And that's not going to do itself. I either have to put the mana into it, which doesn't sound too great, or I have to use some other card to synergize with the token in another way. So Lawson, I'm going to ask you first here about cost reduction. The game is 30 plus years old right now. We've seen all kinds of cost reduction mechanics. Any cards in particular you have your eye on here, or any mechanics I should be looking for to pair with the Seed Shark? Yes, so one of the big ones for me, um, the, the card that I'm most interested in is Thought uh, Cast. Uh, blue and four, affinity for artifacts, draw two cards. One, the Seed Shark makes artifacts, so it does discount the Thought Cast. Uh, the Thought Cast now also makes a 5-5 five five, uh, eventually. You know, you could think of it kind of as uh, additional thought monitors. So I think that's a really clean way for people to kind of get excited about the seed shark. And that is before we you know, ever go into exploring um, the possibilities of playing some big shoals. I know that you were thinking about playing the black shoal with um, Shadow mm -hmm. of, I can't even remember the name of that card. The black card with 15 CMC that never gets played. Um and, you know, <laughs> the, there are there are some exciting things to do in the world of uh, pitch spells that have big X cost. So that's kind of something to think about with the shark. Of course, I think the most impactful one for long term formats uh, will definitely be Leyline's Binding. Turn four play of uh, Chrome uh, Shark into uh, Leyline's Binding to take away your opponent's biggest threat. I'm taking them off the board as well as making a six mana or sorry, a six counter incubate token. Um, that's going to be a huge one two play that makes it to where people have to deal with the shark immediately. They can't just let it stay in play. And you've already picked up, you know, one token. You know, that one token is being a six six. So um, that I think is the, the most exciting streamlined thing so far. Yeah. Loving the Leyline Binding. Um, that's, that's Mord's theorized, this spell costs less mechanic. No reason, it just, it just costs less because, so if we ever get more cards like that, uh, those are going to pair great with the shark. Affinity is so interesting because beyond the Thoughtcast, there actually aren't that many cards with Affinity itself that, um, they really help us. You know, there's, there's a counter spell that costs seven called Assert Authority. There's a weird white removal spell called Lens Flare. Uh, there's the Chiscoria artifacts, but not much with affinity per se. Instead, I find that Delve is the mechanic that seems to have the most plausible candidates. So in Pioneer, of course, you get Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time. Temporal Trespass, of course, we see that as well. In Modern, you know, those cards are not part of the format. Well, Trespass is. But there's a whole roster of second-tier Delve cards that... You know, maybe they're like a one-of in some decks from 2017 or something like that. Like Murderous Cut, for example. Uh, Become Immense sometimes is a one-of in Rhinos. Magmatic Sinkhole used to be important before Unholy Heat got printed. Cards like this, we know they're useful. I'm wondering, can I lean into those again with the Seed Shark? Like uh, Logic Knot, for example. This, this could be the last reason to play Logic Knot in a deck. You can just make the biggest X you can and get paid off for that. Yeah, so I think that Logic Knot is a really good one to think about. Logic Knot, in this case, with the Seed Shark, is basically a Merktide Regent with Flash that says, enter the battlefield, counter-target spell. Um, 
If if you are excited oh, about the Merc type Regent <laughs> with Flash that counters a spell and is a 10-10, then this two-card combination might be for you. You know, and I, I know that is kind of a, a simplified way of putting it. I will also say I think that Temporal Trespass, something that um, you know, you've played a little bit of in the Phoenix decks in Pioneer, um, you know, does kind of have its place where you're not sure how good it is. If it makes an 11-11 token, which doesn't have haste, but you do get another turn, and that turn it will be able to attack, that's a big game, you know? So, you know, let, let's say you uh, were late game with the um, Phoenix deck. There's a number of times where you have six lands in play, and you could just play Shark into Trespass, and then hit your opponent for 13. So... That two-card combination is deal 13 damage to target opponent if they are just not ready for it. So that, while, you know, the dream, uh, I don't think is that hard to set up, truly and honestly. So, Yeah, that's a great point. Seed Shark plays amazingly with any extra turn spell, whether that's Time Warp, whether that's the Miracle, Temporal Mastery, All Runs Epiphany, and of course Trespass. Maybe this is the excuse to make Trespass happen in Modern, finally. So beyond Delve, I do just want to give a quick shout out to Improvise, the Fixed Affinity. I think Metallic Rebuke is going to be very promising. And Battle at the Bridge, the Black and X removal spell. You know, we often put one, maybe two in the sideboard of our Improvised decks. We like to mess around with Herald of Anguish style decks in Pioneer. You can overkill on Battle at the Bridge. Doesn't pay you off that much, it's just extra life. But with a shark, uh, you can make it as big as you want, right? So this could be actually... a pretty cool inclusion that's flexible that also functions as a big finisher and the last category that you know it didn't occur to me at first but things that bring a, a bonus spell cast as part of their resolution the bring to light is the biggest example here bring to light will trigger the shark on itself and then it does technically cast the thing you find so you're going to get two shark triggers off bring to light assuming you find like a supreme verdict or, or maybe solar blaze if you want your shark to live if you bring to light for our friend Tybalt Cosmic Imposter, that is technically a non-creature spell. So that, that's going to be a trigger for five and a trigger for seven. You're getting 12-12 worth of incubator stats uh, when you make your bring to light play. So I do think that it's worth taking a look at just, okay, I'll get my seed shark down first. You know, there's often room for a generic value creature somewhere in the curve of a bring to light deck. One other thing I do think is interesting about the Seed Shark that I think um, is very easy to skip over is it plays uh, particularly well with X cards, like you said. You know, Battle of the Bridge is a really good example. Prismatic Ending is a very playable X spell in mm. Modern. And most of the time, you know, you uh, play it for X equals zero, maybe one, two, three. But in, with Seed Shark, you can play it for X equals nine if you have just a bunch of extra mana floating around. It will exile something with oh. the Sunburst, and you can just like dump all of your mana into putting extra counters on something. So I don't know how much that would ever come up. You know, we are imagining a situation in which the Seed Shark got to stay in play and you got to untap. So, you know, you're you're probably, you know, living life pretty well, but if you're ever in a mood where you want to play Seed Shark and Omnath, um, you know, you're playing Prismatic Ending in those decks already. Uh, just throw all the rest of your mana in, make make another big thing, and you know, now your opponent has to deal with multiple things. So 
I totally forgot that you can overpay. That's brilliant. All right. I, I have a, a list with three prismatic endings. I'm going up to four now. All right. <laughs> Remind me when we get there. Perfect. All right. So that's triggering the shark. I think we got a, a good sense of some of the stuff we want to exploit there. We got to get to the elephant in the room. These incubator tokens, the pesky, pesky incubator tokens. It would be very sad if we do all this work to create the tokens and then we just die without ever actually getting to profit from them. So what should I be thinking about here? Do I want to find, you know, like mana engines, things that provide bursts of mana to like pay that cost? Do I want to skip that step? Do I want to like directly animate them with, uh, what's that card? And soul artifact, right? So anything that says, hey, this artifact became a 5-5 five five, happens to actually work great with the plus one plus one counters on these tokens. So we have that whole category of cards uh, or other, other things that I'm just not thinking of. Uh, I think the bigger that the incubate token is, the least you need to worry about um, animating it for free. If you find a way to make a nine counter thing, you're willing to spend two mana. You know, that that's completely fine and reasonable. If we're finding ways to make a bunch of incubate twos, um, you know, we might be interested in, you know, finding other ways to uh, use them instead of just spending two mana to flip them over. So I think those are the lists where we're going to be the most interested in um, using Teferi or using um, Karn the Great Creator. Karn the Great Creator, you know, um, usually we're using it to animate our opponent's artifacts that we've turned, um, you know, their lands into to blow them up. But if you Karn the Great Creator to animate one of your own incubated things, it's a zero zero with six counters on it or five counters or however many counters you put on it. So that does work. So. And that's a natural curve. Shark on three, Karn on four, that triggers a shark. You get a 4-4 token. You can plus one right there, and you functionally added a 4-4 to the board that turn. The same is true for either of the four mana Tezzerets. That's Tezzeret Agent of Bolas in Modern, Tezzeret Betrayer of Flesh in Pioneer. Tezzeret Betrayer of Flesh, this card has bedeviled us for so many, so many long months now, and unfortunately, unfortunately, it's back on the menu because he just works so perfectly with Incubate. His static text lets you pay the incubation cost for free once on your turn, once on your opponent's turn. So it's almost like Tezzeret by itself flips two incubators immediately. And his minus two can flip a third incubator because he can, again, directly animate any object, turn it into a 4-4. Four, four. So you could just potentially go from having nothing to having three creatures the turn you play Tezzeret. The, the monkey on your back. Also, I will say... There is a funny card that we didn't include in any of these lists. Um, this new set is called March of the Machines. There is a card called March of the Machines that actually turns on all of your incubated things. It's from the original Kamigawa block, and it's each non-creature artifact is an artifact creature with power toughness equal to its converted mana cost. So it pre-flips your incubated things if you're interested in playing a four-mana enchantment with no other text. I will say with the Chromeho Seed Shark, it is at least a 4-mana 4-4 four four, because it will trigger the Chrome Host itself. So I don't know if that means anything to you, but I just wanted to bring that one up. They seeded this decades in advance. I mean, it's so beautiful. <laughs> March of the Machines, uh, and Soul Artifacts, Skilled Animists, The Antiquities War. I was very heartbroken to learn that Blackstaff of Waterdeep cannot target tokens, so that one's out for incubators. 
the reason I was so excited was because, you know, you've heard me talk about OpenHawker, how I really love the potential of that. That would be in the category of mana engines that can flip your incubators. So OpenHawker, uh, Tezzeret Betrayer of Flesh, Renowned Weaponsmith is one that David has had a lot of success with. Cards that generate too much mana, more than you should be able to get, but they restrict them to only paying artifact costs. Those are going to work great with your incubators and with some of these other cards as well. Finally, cards that just care about having game objects in play. They don't care what happens to them. Urza, Lord High Artificer is the classic example. Doesn't care what it is. If you have a Mistress Bubble and a 0-0 incubator token that the Chrome host Seed Shark created, Urza is totally fine turning two of those into two Mox Sapphires. Similarly, Galazeth Prismari, the pioneer Urza, um, does the same thing, right? He's, he loves having incubator tokens, flipped or unflipped, to generate rainbow mana from. So I think that's it in terms of synergies, in terms of pieces we want to be thinking about. What do you think, Lushan? Should we move on to the deck lists? I'm down. Let's, uh, let's start with some Pioneer. This is your format, so I'm going to let you take it away um, from here. Uh, tell me all about... Let's start with, uh, is it Galazeth, I guess, since we've you know, brought up our Elder Dragon friend? So Galazeth Prismari, 2, blue, red, 3, 4, flying Elder Dragon, creates a treasure when it comes into play and grants all of your artifacts the ability to tap themselves to generate mana of any color, which can be put only towards instant and sorcery spells. So it, it takes that treasure that it, Galazeth brings and any other artifacts you have, and now you suddenly have all this mana available. In the past, uh, we've paired that with Third Path Iconoclast. Third Path is just a young pyromancer, but it happens to create artifact tokens. And we found that that's a really nice mana engine in a spells deck. So you have your Third Path Iconoclast, you have your full suite of considers and ops, some red removal, Fiery Impulse is the best one, but Voltage Surge can be put into the mix now too, because you're going to have these extra tokens from Third Path Iconoclast. And you're basically playing like the blue-red spells core. So pieces of the puzzle is your card draw engine, and then at the top end, you're fueling treasure crews. All of that is still the same. Four Third Path Iconoclast, three Galazeth Prismari. What's changed is that we no longer have to play Sahili Sublime Artificer. We can replace that directly with Chrome Host Seed Shark. So David has drawn up a list here with three Seed Sharks in the three spot. And then the last piece you need is because your endgame state involves having a Galazeth and a bunch of these tokens from the third path and from the Seed Shark, you need some big stuff that just explodes when you have all the mana available. So for that purpose, we are playing two copies of All Runes Epiphany, one Temporal Trespass, and two Galvanic Iterations. I do like this list a lot. I will say I, I do want four Chrome Host Seed Shark. I think that it just plays really, really well with both Galazeth it's a little confusing to me that Chrome Host Seed Shark, it feels like it should be legendary. It's such a legendary effect. It's got like such a specific name. Um, not legendary. Not complaining. I'll play four of it. Don't, you know, don't don't twist my arm. But I also want to get the uh, second Temporal Trespass. I think that it's just, you know, not only is it a giant spell that we get to delve for the um, kind of cheated incubate value, but take extra turn effects also work really, really well with uh, Chrome Host Seed Shark. So. Um, it's both, you know, getting the benefit of it's a spell that has a way bigger CMC than it um, is when we're casting it uh, and also benefits on that extra turn. So 
Um, I would probably just turn the Epiphanies into second Trespass and fourth um, Seed Shark, but this list is one that you know, actually gets me excited about doing sweet red-blue spell stuff in Pioneer. Uh, and we don't have to worry about, you know, our opponents having so much graveyard hate for our phoenixes. Um, our creatures are, you know, just more powerful when we draw them, which is something that I am interested in. Yeah, I think that probably three or maybe four total extra turn effects is the sweet spot for this shell. I'm guessing that David is hedging with two epiphanies, one trespass, because the delve can be exploited, like unlicensed first very common in pioneer people can just attack your graveyard if they want to it's actually a great idea now neoform atraxa is a very popular deck these days and they actually i don't think they have any ways in the entire deck to kill a leyland of the void that's a card that i would actually put in my sideboard now on pioneer which i would never consider before so given that we're already playing treasure cruise and at least one temporal trespass i'm like a little worried about going too hard on that effect um so i think all is actually technically more powerful and Galazeth has proven capable of casting it so that part i'm okay with this split myself shark yeah i mean you'd love to see the forest shark why not actually there's that other three drop we talked about uh baral and kari zev so this is a new one a new new team up from march of the machines I've been kind of naysaying it every time everyone brings it up like oh you know it's actually not that good not that good but there is one specific sequence that is good, and that's actually present in this deck. The sequence is, you play Baral and Karizov, you immediately play a Treasure Cruise, and then Baral and Karizov allows you to free cast from your hand anything with a lower CMC of the matching type. So you play your 8-mana Treasure Cruise, you're allowed to free cast a 7-mana Sorcery, so you immediately cast Elrond's Epiphany off that. What do you think about that line, Lawson, and do you think that's like worth trying out a couple of the new legend here? I do love that. Um, so for those of y'all who are listening to a podcast, you can't see the fact that me and uh, Dan are on a video call. I rolled my eyes when he first brought up this card uh, and then looked at the deck list. And that is really, really exciting. Um, now I'm trying to find cards that are being cut. Man, no, no, no. I, I really, really like that. I mean, I might try one and just see what happens. Do we need spell pierce? Do we, do we need it? I mean, I feel like it's the responsible thing. We don't need, I mean, I would cut a third path of TBH. I don't care. Those things just die. <laughs> we don't need third path Iconoclast. That just dies to everything. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, there's so many cards that play in the spells space. We know that the shell works. I've had good results with previous versions of this deck. So it's just a matter of finding the right numbers, finding the right mix of creatures, spells, and you know, little combos. But I think the Sea Shark will be a huge upgrade. Yeah, and I, I do think that getting to play both Third Path and Seed Shark with Galazeth, that will just give you enough artifact rectangles in play to cast anything, even if your opponent has Graveyard Hate. Um, you know, that, that is something that is also pretty exciting. So, Yeah, one thing that came up previously was that Third Path creating these little 1-1 one, one tokens. Technically, they are summoning sick, and Galazeth requires you to tap them. Like, they actually have to tap themselves. So you can't use the third path tokens right away with Galazeth, which was kind of annoying. It wasn't a deal breaker or anything, but I would have loved to just immediately use them and just go off. Seed Shark does not have that problem. So once again, the fact that it's not a creature yet turns out to be a weird benefit. All right, we're not done with Galazeth. We got another, another list coming up for that. So keep that in mind. But for now, we will shift our attention 
From Izzet to Demir. Demir Improvise, another shell that David and I have been kicking around for a while. He's had a lot of success. He's got a bunch of four ones with previous versions of the deck. So Lawson, talk me through this updated Demir Improvise shell. Absolutely. So, um, you know, just to kind of run through the, the base of the deck, the big rewards for having a bunch of artifacts in play is a uh, improvise uh, package. So the cards we're trying to improvise, Herald of Anguish, Reverse Engineer, um, you know, four Herald, two Reverse, three Metallic Rebuke. So, you know, we're really getting paid off here for having these incubated uh, creatures in play. And so, you know, what are the non-creature spells that we're playing to make these things? Well, we're playing, you know, Witching Wells, we're playing uh, Blood Fountain, a 4x of both of those. They are artifacts that are kind of grindy, give you some um, activations. We have Moonsnare Prototype as a 2-of, and um, one Renegade map as three more artifacts to help uh, kind of fill out the curve, um, fix the, the mana for the deck, and then um, the interaction package of Fatal Push as a 4-of and two Thought Seizes to, you know, let us interact as the you know, best ways you can in the Pioneer format. And then um, rounding out the deck, um, there are four Deadly Disputes to fix some draws, um, a Singleton uh, Bank Buster, and a Might Stone and Weak Stone. So pretty excited about this. And then, oh, I sorry, I overlooked Tezzerite Betrayer of Flesh. I'm, I'm sorry, I almost snuck that one out. But um, yeah, kind of holding the deck together. He's back. He's back, baby. <laughs> Gotta have your three Tezzerites. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, you know, idea of these decks has always been blue and black are the two best colors that are interacting in the Pioneer format. You know, interaction is few and far between, uh, at least efficiently in Pioneer. So this deck, you know, leaning on that powerful interaction and then capping off um, with a pretty high top end with Herald. Definitely something I'm going to be exploring as well. All right, so we have four Seed Sharks, and it looks like 17 one-mana plays. Each of these will generate a 1-1 Incubator token. I'm not super excited about flipping those. I think this is a deck that's just not going to bother flipping most of its Incubation tokens. Right? Actually, the only sizable tokens will be the Metallic Rebuke tokens and Reverse Engineer as a 2-of, Tezzeret as a 3-of. These will produce larger fighting bodies, but for the most part, we're fine here triggering Seed Shark for a very tiny game object that we maybe just never flip. Maybe we just feed it to the Herald of Anguish. Maybe we deadly dispute it away. Maybe we just use it as mana. Yeah, so I think that this is a list that actually might be interested in the Battle of the Bridges that we were talking about earlier. Mm. Um, or if there were any artifacts that are particularly interesting in the Pioneer format, um, War of Invention, you know? Both of these are improvised cards that are X-valued, so late game, you just have a bunch of um, artifact rectangles hanging out. You can make a big X and then make one more um, artifact rectangle um, from the Chrome Seed Shark with, you know, name the number of counters you would like on it, you know? Yeah, that, that overpay line, it's, it's so sneaky good. What would be the best artifact in Pioneer? I guess Portal to Phyrexia. Does that sound about right? Uh, I would assume so. 
Maybe that's too much mana. Hmm. Coward. Yeah, it's a thinker. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, in terms of the details, I think if I play this list, I would tweak. I would probably add the fourth Metallic Rebuke. I just think that card is so powerful uh, when you're supporting it with Blood Fountains. If that means trimming on Thought Season Push, I'm okay with that because I do, I do want to keep the artifacts high. I'm also curious, like, what, what would happen? What would happen if I just say, I'm playing Omen Hawker? You know, screw it. I know it doesn't trigger the shark. I'm just, I'm just putting it in for Omen Hawkers. <laughs> Getting it down early in the curve so that I can start flipping those incubators quickly. I can actually play more Reckoner Bankbusters that way. It, it lets me pay for Blood Fountain. It lets me pay for Witching Well activations if I want to. Like, do you think that that would actually improve the performance of a deck like this? Or is that just looking in the wrong direction? I do think that is a bit of walking in the wrong direction. Something that I really do like about this deck is all of the creatures in it are Chromeho Seed Shark, Herald of Anguish, End of List. Um, so there are zero things in your deck that die to stomp. <laughs> There's no things in your deck that die to uh, Fiery Impulse. There's no things like the interaction in the Pioneer format is largely um, cuts off at three um, toughness. Our deck jumps all the way up to four and five. So a lot of the you know cheap interaction we get to dodge, which is something that I would be pretty interested in. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, I'm guessing David accounted for that, but you know me, I gotta I gotta go to bat for the Omen Hawker whenever I can. <laughs> so. All right, so that's Demir Improvise, a shell that is a natural fit for the Seed Shark. We've had a lot of success with this in the past, and excited to see how it performs now that the sharks are on board. Oh, I was just going to say, real quick, um, when it comes to big giant things that we could war of invention into, um, Noxious Gear Hulk is something that might be interesting. But other than that, um, you know, nothing, nothing else super reasonable. Okay. Well, you could get the Torrential Gear Hulk, maybe. Can that recast anything good here? Yeah, recast the Whirr, which triggers another Sea Shark. Okay. <laughs> uh, nah, I guess that's not very good. Hmm. But yeah, that's a great thought. All right, so that is Demir Improvise, a shell that we've had a lot of success with before, and it seems to be a natural upgrade to get the Seed Shark in, so we're very excited to see how this one plays. From there, we move on to a third list from David, and this one is a lot more speculative. It is in Simic Colors with a black splash for removal. That already sounds tough, just saying that out loud. <laughs> but uh, it's base Simic because we're trying to unlock the power of Growth Spiral. This is a card that David feels like should be one of the more powerful effects in Pioneer. It just has no homes. Right? You just never see this card. If that's our turn two play, what's the payoff? Well, we've already talked about Tezzeret Betrayer of Flesh. That's a nice curve. Chrome Host Siege Shark on turn three, followed immediately by a one mana spell. You could do that after a Growth Spiral. But the most speculative payoff is Glistening Dawn. Glistening Dawn, two green green, incubates twice for X, where X is the number of lands you control. So if it's turn four, for example, or turn three off a growth spiral, play your Glistening Dawn. Now you've got two incubators that eventually become large bodies. And the later the game goes, the bigger those get. Why are they here? Well, David is thinking... We're going to build this entire Seed Shark plan, but it's, there's only four Seed Sharks, right? At a certain point, 
that may not be enough to actually win the game. So you do want some other ways to attack and block, and Glistening Dawn just gives you a bunch of access to incubators. So as long as those are good, this will be a way to generate a lot more of them. It happens to play well with the Seed Shark, so you get even more incubators if Shark is in play. And Tezzeret is, I think, the way we'll be flipping most of these. And the rest of the deck is just interaction, right? Because that sounds like a nice endgame, but you got to get there somehow. So we've just filled up the deck with Fatal Push, Thoughtseize, Sensor, four copies, two Negates, Abrupt Decay, two Reckoner Bankbusters, two Dig Through Times, and one Murderous Cut. No notes. No. Um, I, I do like the way that you were trying to sell the, the mana base on this deck. Uh, th- this is just a Sultai deck, you know. Um, you know, you're you're playing eight black cards. That's you're you're playing a lot of black. You know that that's not just a splash at this point. Um, I do love me a, a good greedy mana base though. So no no complaints here. I might be playing an additional Zagoth Triumph or two, but you know mana bases are not my thing. But overall, I, I do kind of like the approach to this deck. Of you know we're gonna one for one forever, and then um, if my Chrome Host Seed Shark lives a turn. Uh, you're going to be in trouble, you know, because not only am I going to be able to protect it, but once I start pulling ahead and making some extra, um, you know, uh, rectangles that will eventually become things that you do need to spend a whole card on, the game will run away pretty quickly. Glistening Dawn, I'm very excited about. I will say it is always a little awkward when your four drop is not fantastic on turn four. Um, I, I think that if you're playing Glistening Dawn on turn four, um, you might be falling a little bit behind in Pioneer. So, you know, I might play even a little more interaction and only play two Glistening Dawns, but um, this is also not my go-to format. So um, I, I will I'll leave it to the experts. Yeah, and I'm sure David is right that you do need the black interaction. I just, I just hate it, right? We're screwing up all the mana, and for what? Nothing about these black cards synergizes in any way with the main plan, Right? Like, we don't really want the 1 1 tokens for anything for the Seed Shark. You just have to play them because otherwise you're going to die. That's what's sad to me about any kind of Simic, well, Simic spells for sure, but just Simic in general. It just doesn't have the tools to defend itself without dipping into a third color, and black is just much better than red for this purpose. Yeah. All right, so this is a more speculative shell. We're going to find out if Glistening Dawn is anything. Uh, If it is, this will be a a shell that it could succeed in. But I think that is it for Pioneer. Are we ready to shift over to Modern, Lawson? Always. All right, so over to Modern. I've got a couple bad ideas. Lawson, you have a couple of good ideas. Where should we start? Uh... I feel like I have some very okay ideas. So let's let's start with the bad and, and get our way to the good stuff. Alright. So the most okay-ish, the baddest of the bad, is Galazeth Prismari, as promised, now in modern. And I say this a bit cheeky, but I've I've tried this a few times. This is gonna be my third or fourth return to this shell, and it's actually pretty good. Like the last time that I played it was when we were doing Project Ginny Fay, Ginny Fay Jetmere Second. That was a card that was voted on by patrons in the Faithless Brewing Discord as our card of the month. Ginny Fay converts any token into a different kind of token, into a cat or a dog. So I had figured out that, okay, what if I just want a free token like a gingerbread cabin? And it turns out that gingerbread cabin with Galazeth Prismari is a nice little mini mana engine. So that was the core of the deck, but 
where it all started to come together was adding Bring to Light as a main payoff for Galazeth. And I tried this first at Pioneer, but it was just cleaner and modern. It was like surprisingly just a lot better and modern with fetch lands with a slightly more robust Bring to Light package. So you have three Galazeths, you have four Bring to Lights, four Ren and six, because anytime you're just trying to hit your land drops in a Gingerbread Cabin deck, you should probably just start on Ren and six. A Bring to Light package that, you know, is, is not that extensive, right? There's the one Valky, used to be one Supreme Verdict. I changed it to Solar Blaze because of keeping Gigantha. And actually, now that we have Seed Shark in the mix, uh, Solar Blaze gets even more attractive because now my, my Galazes and my Chrome Host Seed Sharks are going to survive that Solar Blaze and I'm going to get two large incubation tokens. So I'm excited for that. Prismatic Ending is great with Galazeth, and this is exactly that scenario Lawson was describing, where you can just overpay for the Prismatic Ending. And this is exactly the kind of deck where, in certain game states, you'll have all these junk tokens, right? A couple treasures from Galazeth, uh, maybe a clue from a tireless tracker you haven't popped yet, you have gingerbread cabin food tokens. So you have the potential to just overpay on a Prismatic Ending. I think I should go to four copies. I only had three in my initial sketch. To round things out, some one-mana removal, so a Bolts, a couple Unholy Heats. These are just to make Ren and Six a little more robust. Two Expressive Iterations, and one copy of Shape Anew. This is, again, because Bring to Light gives you access to that Shape Anew whenever you want. So it's actually kind of free to play, like, one Shape Anew and one Artifact Payoff, although I'm still not sure what that Artifact Payoff should be. Right now I have Portal to Phyrexia in that slot, but I'm not, like, super happy about that. On the creature side, three Galazeth, four Seed Shark, the one Valky, two Tireless Tracker, one Omnath, and I'm going to keep one Ginny Fey Jetmere second, just because there's this, this very cute interaction with uh, Ginny Fey, and we, we think this works. We have not verified it yet, but based on understanding of how replacement effect works, <laughs> you will get your plus one, plus one counters on the Ginny Fey token. So Jenny Fay will replace your incubator with a cat or a dog. So you can say, okay, I, I don't want an incubator. I want a 2-2 haste cat. Apply my two replacement effects and you'll end up with a cat that comes with the incubation tokens on it. Uh, so you'll, you'll like pre-flip it and grow up by two, which is extremely cute if it works. Oh, and Leyland Binding, of course. Four Leyland Bindings. Gotta have those. So what do you think, Lawson? Have I completely lost my mind? I think you've lost your mind in all the best ways. The Ginny Fay one, first of all, if that uh, replacement effect uh, works, where it does get the counters, uh, I love the fact that they have haste. Uh, you you forgot that one. That's a that's a pretty big one. You know, if you randomly play a Ginny Fay on turn three, and your opponent's like, I don't really know what's going on here. Uh, I'm gonna play my Dryad of the Elysian Grove. Pass, and you get to like. Chrome, Seed Shark, Leyline's Binding, Punch him in the Head for 11. That sounds kind of what I'm in for. Um, you know, we're, we're probably going <laughs> to die to the Primeval Titan on their next turn. But, you know, we'll, we'll take the screenshot before that and we'll, we'll put it in the Discord. You know, that's that's what you do. Um, so I, I do like the Ginny Fey tech. I will say, I don't know if I told you about this, but I trophied a couple times at the beginning of the season um, with Shape of New Decks. So I actually really do like these gingerbread cabin um, portal to Phyrexia game plans. One of the biggest problems that the decks kind of have is sometimes you will end up portaling your opponent and blowing up all their creatures. But then because you are just a creature deck, um, or I should say a control deck that is dealing with creatures well, 
you don't do a very good job of actually ending the game, but uh, having, um, you know, Chrome Seed Shark gives you that inevitability. Um, I would, in that case, be playing a couple more Omnaths. Um, it's a pretty mm. real, um, you know, game plan of turn four Omnath, you know, make some value. Your opponent feels like they have to deal with it. And if they don't deal with it, turn five, play a fetch land, fetch it is nine mana. So you can just play Portal to Phyrexia. And it similarly is not legendary. So you can have multiple portals in play. So I think I would, you know, think about leaning a little bit heavier on the portal plan. Also, like, Seed Shark does make random artifacts, so if your opponent were to turn off your gingerbread nonsense some way, you know, this is just a, another way to make sure we have a thing that we can target with the Shape of New, so. Yeah, I think this does support Shape of New very well. I just don't trust the payoffs yet because I haven't had the same success you have. So you find that Portal was game-winning in a lot of matchups. Like, it's not just dead. Yes, largely. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, replacing Galazeth with Omneth makes complete sense. I won't fault anyone for doing that. It's more stylistic considerations. <laughs> These are roughly equal power level. Galazeth, Prismari, Omneth, just two mythics hanging out in the four slot. But uh, yeah, no, there's certainly mm -hmm. nothing wrong with putting Omneth in instead. Only one of them has flying, you know? Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> Only one of them gets found by niv at Reborn. <laughs> that used to be one of the BTL targets. But sadly, I think those days have passed us by. Let's go to something a little more responsible. So you have drawn up something that you call Chrome Control. I'm looking at it as primarily blue-white with a Leyline Binding mana base. Yes. So this is not one that I'm going to take a ton of um, credit for, but... There's something when I'm doing deck construction that I'm kind of looking at is I am interested in card packages. And I think one of the cards that plays best with Seed Shark is going to be the um, pitch two cards from your hand cycle from Cold Snap or the Shoal um, cards from the original Kamigawa block. And the blue shoal is not very good in modern, so I'm off of that. The commandeer has been good in modern past, so I did kind of want to explore that. Um, one of the best things that you can do with commandeer is um, play it with cards like Narset and Days and Doing. Not only will they completely refill your hand, but um, they are kind of clunky three drops in the modern format, so. If you draw too many of them, but you have a commandeer, uh, you can kind of solve that problem at, at once. So all of those things kind of fit well together. This list also has three Teferi Hero of Dominaria. This is a um, one-two punch that I am kind of excited about with the Seed Shark. You cast Teferi, you get to uh, make an uh, Incubate token with five counters on it, and then the Teferi draws you a card and untaps two lands. Um, which is the number you need to flip a incubated token. So really, really clean one-two combination. So that's kind of what this list looked like. This is uh, a base from, you know, a um, Days and Doing Narset list that has been doing all right in modern. I also wanted to make sure that um, in these kind of grindy decks that I am playing for Fairy Hero of Dominaria right now, um, not only does it turn off uh, all of the cascade decks in the format it also turns off all battles in the format so 
if you're, you know, playing against someone that is battling you, because when the battles are completed and your opponent takes the last counters off of it, um, it has to get exiled and then recast, uh, Teferi Time Raveler will stop that. So, you know, just just some things to keep in mind. Gosh. What a lovely card. <laughs> it's fun for everyone. So Narset Days Undoing is somewhat established, but Commandeer feels like the gamble. If there's one card in this list that we really do not see typically, and we maybe would not play without access to Seed Shark, it's the Commandeer. Is that fair to say? That is super fair to say. You know, important things to keep in mind about Commandeer. Commandeer is not Force of Negation. Um, you know, it does not do a very good job of interacting with Supreme Verdict. Taking control of your opponent's Wrath Effects um, doesn't really do anything. Taking control of their uh, Unholy Heat might not really matter if the only creature in play is the Seed Shark. So it's definitely not bulletproof. But at the end of the day, you know, I have felt very okay with playing some kind of clunky, not perfect cards in your Days and Doing deck. Because if it's not great, you know, let's draw seven new cards and figure it out from there. So that's kind of... Um, where we're coming from. So once your opponent sees what you're up to, right, that you're mostly playing blue-white control type cards with an Narset Undoing package, but you also have these four Chrome Host Seed Sharks just like hanging out in the deck. <laughs> I mean, what, what what are they going to do about this? Are they going to... Is a Seed Shark itself like a game-winning threat in a control package, or is it just like, okay, well, they're going to throw out removal spells that they weren't using, and we won't get much out of the Shark? I don't think this is the kind of list that will keep a shark around for very long. You know, it is in the three drop pile, but I don't think you'll be playing it on turn three very often. You know, I think that um, you're going to be priced into interacting with your opponent a lot more in those times. Um, but I think that if a uh, seed shark makes more than one token, it will probably win the game, you know? And I think that even just Chrome Shark into Leyline's Binding might be enough in a lot of cases. They have to deal with the, the shark immediately, you know? And at some point, we're going to cash in that Leyline's Binding 6-6 six, six, um, for another card or two. So, you know, I, I think that this, while not the best Chrome Shark deck of all time, um, is a place where the shark fits in pretty well. That makes sense to me. Yeah, even even like Supreme Verdicts, you're playing two copies, and that's not a terrible play, right? You lose your shark, but you get back a 4-4, four, four, and it doesn't become a 4-4 four, four until you need it to. So you can verdict again the next turn if you have to. It, yeah, it's it's really curious that the shark doesn't mind getting swept away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I do think that is something that is kind of interesting about um, the seed shark is I think that it is a benefit that it is not a creature until we want it to be a creature, you know? One of the awkward parts with Monastery Swift Spear has always been when someone plays a Wrath Effect, which is the best way to deal with all of the tokens, there's not a way to make sure that we sneak one out at the very end, you know, unless your opponent has, in response to you making some tokens, flashed into play the, the Supreme Verdict, you know, all, all of your guys are going away. But with the Seed Shark, you know, you can have it be in play a couple of turns, and then if your opponent, you know, has a, a turn where they season Pyromancer, you know, put two elementals into play, and then they uh, pitch cast a Fury to kill some other things, you know, it, it's nice to know that eventually we can cash in these incubated tokens. 
yeah, I was curious if you might actually be interested in, in the white cold snap pitch spell, the seven mana wrath sun scour pitch two white cards to cast it. That would require a, a different setup, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't be able to do the days on doing Narset thing because that's more blue. But it seemed like something that mm-hmm. yeah, well, it was, you wouldn't mind getting a seven seven off the shark. I feel like that's a really good transition to the next deck. Um, Because the next deck actually has 4x Sunscour. So for those who have not been keeping up in the Discord, I have been uh, the George Washington Carver of terrible white decks. Um, But uh, Shining Shoal has been a card that I have been very, very excited with. So um, just to walk through this deck, it is 16 lands and then 4 Amarius Call. So very, very low to the ground when it comes to resources um but we're playing a um, low to the ground 4x thraven inspectors four uh, esper sentinels four wall of omens four ephemerates four solitude so we've got this very easy way to come up the ground package and then for us going over the top um we've got chrome's um host seed shark along with um sun scour and shining shoal Shining Shoal lets you protect all of your early game things, as well as interact really, really well with all of the red cards in the format. And then the kind of cool power of this deck is um, the Seed Shark, in addition to Teferi Time Raveler, gives you the opportunity to, at the end of your opponent's turn, cast a Sun Scour, blowing up all of their creatures, and then um, giving you a big 7-mana incubated token. So it'd be very easy to get yourself to a position where you have a, a Sunscour token as well as a Teferi Time Raveler token um, uh, from the uh, Chrome Host Seed Shark. So that's 10 power automatically that we know we could hit someone with on the very next turn. And so this, this is a list that I definitely will be exploring a lot of previously in this kind of deck. I've been actually trying out Sky Hussar. Um, if you've never heard of Sky Hussar, it is a wildly, wildly grindy, uncommon from the original Ravnica block. So this is somewhere that I'm definitely going to be exploring. So that's kind of what I'm looking at right now. All right. So this is a fascinating show. I mean, I know you have so much experience now, Lawson, with the Shining Shoal pitch white archetype. You've played two dozen variants of this by now. I'm pretty surprised that, you know, when I asked you, like, how would how would a Seed Shark version of this deck look, I'm pretty surprised that Wall of Omens made the cut over something like uh, like Squadron Hawk, for example. I, I just assumed that if you're going to play Sunscour, you have to play Squadron Hawk. So, Wall of Omens has been really, really surprising for me in Modern. Kind of what I've experienced recently is a lot of the red decks, specifically, that are very efficient... They really hate pointing removal spells at cards that have already given them value, you know? And Wall of Omens will just end up giving you um, a whole card's worth of value. It also just can't be bolted. So um, I've been very impressed by it. And then you're kind of priced into playing Wall of Omens over Squadron Hawk if you are doing Ephemerate stuff. And Ephemerate with Solitude lets you have real gameplay against um, decks like Footfalls and a bunch of the um, Urza Saga lists. So while Squadron Hawk does play a whole lot better with Sunscour, 
Ephemerate plays really, really well overall in these lists. So um, that's kind of the only reason why I'm taking that um, approach instead. That makes sense. I think that the other big thing that will throw people off here is seeing four copies of the Sunscour. It's hard for me to make that gel in my head with all of the creatures, right? You have the Esper Sentinels, the Thraben Inspectors, Wall of Omens, Lavinia, Chrome Host, Seed Sharks. Maybe you're cheating in the solitude and blinking it. It seems like you're committing a lot to playing your own creatures. And then you're playing four copies of a Wrath. So is that the because like you're actually not planning to cast the Wrath that often? Like you're you're primarily just going to pitch it? But if you need to cast it, you're going to? Or do you think that Wrathing is going to be a major part of the game plan here? So most of the time you are going to be pitching it. Sunscour also, because it needs two white cards, you can't draw too many Sunscours. Uh, the only way that you could ever cast a Sunscour um, and not be able to get rid of the other Sunscours in your hand is literally if you drew all four Sunscours, you know? So even in the nightmare situation where you're playing against an opponent that doesn't have that many creatures and you draw two, you know, maybe three Sunscours, the moment that your opponent's board is better than yours, you just get to cash out the, the Sunscours that got stuck in your hand. Um, so while that is definitely not a, you know, fist bump or winning this game now, you know, take it to the bank, I'm going to Worlds <laughs> um, kind of moment, it, it is less horrifyingly terrible than you might think, you know? Whereas, you know, think about cards that are really powerful generically, but do sometimes end up in your hand not doing literally anything. Um, a, a really good example of this to me would be Blood Moon, you know? That's a card that, you know, people play in Modern because sometimes it does just hose people. But sometimes you play against not only decks that Blood Moon doesn't hose, but other Blood Moon decks. And you draw two or three Blood Moons, you know? Um, in those moments, that is literally a three-mana piece of cardboard that has actual factual zero text on it, you know? Where Sunscour, even though I am definitely playing, you know, more creatures than most people... There are plenty of times with this deck where your opponent's board just gets out of hand and it is nice that you can, you know, reset the world, you know, before we even bring up the fact that with the, the Seed Shark, you have a seven mana, or not a seven mana, a seven power thing left over afterwards. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming at it there. The other thing that I do want to bring up is there are some kind of cool sideboard things that I've put in here. One, Mystical Dispute is a counterspell that makes a 3-3 token um, even though we're hopefully only paying mm. one mana for it um, uh, March of Otherworldly Light this is both a you can super overpay for it if you would like and also you can pitch a bunch of cards in your hand so if you were in a weird situation where you just wanted to start racing with your opponent you could at the end of their turn um, you know on turn 4 after having played the Seed Shark just go yeah, I'm going to pitch these four white cards in my hand because hopefully just an 8-8 is good enough, you know? And while that might not always be true, sometimes it will be. And it is cool that you can now have um, another kind of Hail Mary um, thing in your deck. And then the last card that I do want to bring up, uh, I have seen a little bit of this in some modern sideboards recently. I do think it is a super, super cool card um, that I just don't think is on very many people's radar it's Patrician's Scorn. Dan, I'm going to quiz you on this. Um, can you tell me what that card does off the top of your head? It's from Future Sight. No clue. 
No clue. I see that future site frame and I am going to Scryfall as we speak. <laughs> Patrician's score. Never heard of this card. Perfect. So this is an old school tech card from Ad Nauseam players, but it's a white and three <laughs> okay. instant destroy all enchantments. But if you've cast a white card this turn, uh, you can actually cast this for no mana. So the kind of cute thing that it does right now in modern is the best enchantment in the format is Urza Saga. So you can go, you know, if your opponent goes turn one Urza Saga, Springleaf Drum, um, you know, Ornithopter, you can go turn one land Thraben Inspector, Patrician Scorn, blow up your land, which is kind of cute. This does also nail um, Blood Moons that randomly uh, come into play. It super hoses. Um, boggles, which I have run into a couple times this past week, so I think this is just a kind of cool card to have on people's radars um, and does play really, really well with the um, Seed Shark, so that's kind of why I had it here. This is such a deep cut, that's amazing. <laughs> a common from Future Sight, who knew? So the, the reason why it used to be in the Ad Nauseam decks was um, if your opponents ever played a Leyline of Sanctity, hoping that that would be good enough to beat you, when you did your combo, you played an Angel's Grace to not lose the game, and then you drew your whole deck. So if you had a one of Patrician Scorn in your um, sideboard, uh, after game one, you would know that after you cast your Ad Nauseam, you would always draw it, you could play it, blow up all of your opponent's Leyline Sanctities, um, and then you would win the game with Lightning Storm. So. Um, you know, just little random things from Magic's history um, to, you know, always have on hand. <laughs> Amazing. All right, so my last question for this deck, since you are the Shining Shoal expert, one thing we have not discussed yet is what if Chrome Host Seed Shark is literal Splinter Twin? Like, what if you play the Seed Shark on turn three and then just immediately win the game? And to do that, you need to cast a shoal, the biggest possible shoal, because that's a free spell. The X that you set for the shoal counts toward the mana value of that Chrome Host Seed Shark trigger. So the biggest possible shoal would be, for example, Shining Shoal, pitch a 15 mana white card. And you could do that on turn three. You can play your, your Seed Shark on three, you immediately just play the shoal, you don't need a target for it, and you're getting a 1717 incubator token. Uh, it's got flash, you know, they can't counter that, that's just gonna happen, and then on your fourth turn, you pay to flip it and you kill them. You could do that with a white shoal or the green shoal, uh, if you're using Autochthon Worm as your 15 mana cost, or you can do it in black with the sickening shoal and the shadow of mortality. I mean, is that just totally crazy? I don't think it's the craziest thing of all time. Um... I, I will say, I don't think the number has to be 15. I think if X is 7, that will probably be good enough, you know? The Seed Shark is a thing that people will feel like they have to deal with immediately. So Shining Shulk being something that does defend it is, you know, the reason why I'm the most excited about it in these kind of decks. Uh, it's not just because it's the Shoal that I've been, you know, playing 200 matches with over the past month. Um, though I have also done that, um, you know, uh, I, I think that it, it does just line up really, really well with kind of what this deck is already trying to do. I do think there is a interesting world where you could explore a white, black, blue version of this deck. 
where you play both the white shoal that redirects damage and the black shoal that gives minus X minus X. And then as a really expensive card that um, you could play off of both of them, uh, you could play Reaper King. Uh, Reaper King is a 10 mana, white, blue, black, red, green thing, or Progenitus, but I, I think Reaper King's just a lot funnier because it's also an artifact and there are, you know, some kind of interesting things that we could do with that. But it, you know, it pitches to everything with Shining Shoal and the, the Black Shoal. I can't remember its name off the top of my head, but you're, you're basically maxing out the potential value you could get from either of those, um, as well as being able to throw it away to force of negation if you needed to. So I think there is something there. Um, I, I do think that if you are interested in doing X equals 15 for Shoal nonsense, I do think that Nourishing Shoal is a way better one to do it with. Um, gaining 15 life does have text. And there, there are a few things in modern that um, do count how much life you've gained in a turn. So you could make some, you know, other Splinter Twin-esque things if we're willing to squint. So definitely something to explore there, though. Yeah, you could definitely go all in. Like, you could play Eladamri's Call that finds the Seed Shark or it finds the Reaper King or the Autochthon Worm. And as many shoals as you have the guts to play. If you're in the white-black one that Lawson is theorizing, a card with no text like Reaper King is, that's fine. You could play the split card. What's that one? Revival Revenge? That's only mm -hmm. eight total CMC, but the two mana half is a useful card that actually is just like an unearth for the Seed Shark. Mm -hmm. But the tools are there. That actually brings us to the, the final concept I'll, I'll just propose. So I did draw up a list that can do this X equals 15 line. Using the Black Shoal, so the Sickening Shoal, that's what it's called, and Shadow of Mortality becomes the pitch card. We've seen some attempts at using that 15 in the upper right-hand corner successfully in both the Cascade versions of Calibrated Blast and in the Fair version of Calibrated Blast, which is something that Aspiring Spike had been tinkering with. In the Fair version of Calibrated Blast, you're not cascading, right? You're just like eventually dumping a shadow of mortality into the graveyard and then you're putting it back on top with a witch's cottage, casting a calibrated blast either from hand or with flashback to get 15 damage. Now, did that win? That's a little bit unclear, right? Because you're kind of a controlish deck. Maybe they shocked themselves five times. Maybe they didn't. I think you typically would play like Season Pyromancer there, uh, maybe Scion of Draco as like other ways to just like get some damage in so that the calibrated blast will be lethal when it happens. So a lot of the same elements, kind of generic control with uh, shadow prophecy, with leyline bindings, with shadow mortality, even with calibrated blast, you can keep the calibrated blast in the deck. It occurred to me that that could support this chrome host seed shark sickening shoal interaction that I'm interested in. So we, we keep that splinter twin, the turn three shark, followed immediately by Sickening Shoal, X equals 15. That's there. So you have four Seed Shark, four Sickening Shoal, four Shadow of Mortality, four Leyline Binding, four Scion of Draco, and four Shadow Prophecy. So we have a domain mana base. That gets you to 24 cards. What we don't quite have yet is we don't have enough payoffs, I think, for the Seed Shark. So I'm curious if we can support this shell with just like random delve stuff. Uh, we talked about Logic Knot as a possibility. Here, I think Murderous Cut makes sense because um, you can always just pitch it to the Sickening Shoal. It's almost as good as Leyline Binding. You know, you get a 5-5 five, five instead of a 6-6 six, six for purposes of Seed Shark. 
And I'm even going to try one copy of Dead Drop, which is a 10-mana delve spell. It's nine and a black sorcery delve. They sack two creatures. Who knows if that ever comes up, but you know, I'm going to have fetch lands. I'm going to have my shadow prophecies, so maybe I can delve cast this, but more likely I'm just going to pitch it to a sickening shoal. And to round it out, I, I currently have four Thoughtseize, two Calibrated Blast, maybe one Witch's Cottage, and I'm curious about Master of Death. Uh, it's not like a great card by any stretch, but you know, it is like a card that just comes back to your hand from the graveyard and you pitch it to something. So what's holding this all together? Well, it's just generic control cards, mostly removal that happens to use cost reduction mechanics, and then Seed Shark is there to turn all that into profit. Do you feel like this is a coherent plan, Lawson, or is this just too scattered? So I I do like um, some things about this deck a lot. You know, I, I do think that the calibrated kind of fair game plan is pretty reasonable and modern. There are a lot of decks that are incidentally hurting themselves. Um, it is cool to just have a deck that has, you know, a random, let's flip a coin and see if we win the game. There used to be a Hearthstone deck that kind of did this same plan where um, you could set up your combo or, you know, if you're going to die this turn, let's just cast this Calibrated Blast and maybe the next non-land thing is a Shadow of Mortality and oops, I win the game, you know? I I do like accidentally winning games of Magic. Um, Sign of Draco is kind of a redundant thing to let you do that. So I think that we could uh, lean a little bit less hard on all of the kind of super, super expensive black cards. Like I was saying with the past idea of how big does your shoal need to be, uh, I don't think X needs to be 15. I don't think X needs to be 10. I think of X is 5. You know, we're going to be plenty happy. So this might be a list that I'm also interested in grief. Um, uh, Just like mm -hmm. that is a card that is um, generically powerful. It lets us make sure the coast is clear. Um, it's pretty easy to fit in uh, a couple of Malakir rebirths. So that is something that I might explore um, a little bit more for these decks. But uh, overall, no, I, I do like the, the kind of approach to these decks overall. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is the right shell either. But yeah, grief occurred to me as well. Because once you've decided, okay, I'm going to try to exploit the Seed Shark by playing pitch spells, right? Whether that's Force of Negation, whether that's Sickening Shoal, whether that's Sun Scour commendiers we talked about once you're down that path you're like all right filling out my deck with all kinds of stuff mdfc is just random cards that are of the appropriate color why not malachar rebirth sure and at that point why not play grief mm -hmm. even playing border posts like in in some weird white nykthos decks border posts work great too they pitch to the appropriate stuff and they actually technically count as cast triggers so if you cast a border post for its alternate cost you you do get the seed shark trigger so that's another card you could consider, uh, like in, in your white-blue deck, for example, your Sunscour deck. Absolutely. I, I would also say this deck does need, um, I think, either Season Pyromancer or Season Pyromancer and Fable. It, it is important to be able to actually get the expensive Shadow into the graveyard for the Witch's Cottage uh, plan. This list, the, the current ways for you to get the 15-drop in your graveyard for you to then move it into top of library uh, is it looks like exactly thought sees myself, uh, which is not exactly where I want to be. But, you know, that, that's stuff that gets uh, hashed over in the actual creation process. Uh, I think if we are a Chrome host seed shark deck specifically for this kind of list, uh, Fable is going to be a little bit better 
as it fixes the mana base a little bit and giving us treasure tokens. Um, but, you know, overall, I, I do kind of like the approach where we're coming from here. Yeah, I mean, Calibrated Blast was like the last card I put in. I just wasn't sure if it was worth trying to do that because if you're going to keep that Witch's Cottage angle, you, you do need discard outlets, and I really don't have them, like you're saying. So if you cut the Calibrated Blasts, you don't actually don't have any red spells in the deck. You, you're kind of just in Esper Colors with Leyline Binding and Cyano Draco. I'm not sure like what's the right balance of like which are my core colors, which are my supporting colors. Do I need to get the Shadow in the Graveyard? Can I just cast it? I mean, you can cast it as a 7-7 seven, seven, um, if you thought these yourself enough times. I'm not sure, but uh, I'm interested in playing around with it because I just, I just once, I want to get that turn three splinter tin. <laughs> X equals 15, sickening shoal, kill my own shark and attack for 17 next turn. So I started blasting. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it is a sweet one. Exactly. All right. Well, that's plenty, plenty of shark ideas to explore, both in Pioneer and in Modern. Lawson, how are you feeling about this now that we've seen a few different shells? I am very, very excited. One other thing that I forgot to bring up um, that I did a little bit of exploring on, and um, maybe I missed something. There is one other uh, way that you can play cards for an alternate cost than the top right corner. That doesn't come off up very often. Um, that is cheaper, but flashback. There are some cards that have flashback that cost a whole bunch on the front side, um, but if you've got it in your graveyard, are actually cheaper. The two best ones that are in the modern format, Echo of Eons. Um, this is something that we could explore some more in the blue pitch deck, but I couldn't find a way to get it in the graveyard. Um, it is, you know, six mana to play the first time, three to flash it back. And so if you flash it back, you do get a 6-6. Six, six. And the more interesting one um, is Battle Screech. Battle Screech flashback is tap three untapped white creatures you control. So if there's a way for um, the blue-white deck to be less controlly and more all-in on the creature um, board, um, this would probably be a version that doesn't have Ephemerate and doesn't have Wall of Omens, probably playing Squadron Hawks um, and Force of Virtue. Um, Battle Screech just get way better than those, so... Just something to you know think about and have in the back of your mind. That's a great catch. I totally forgot that the flashback mana value is determined always by the upper right-hand corner. So sneaky ways to get cost reduction there. In your Battle Screech deck, I mean, if you put Spectral Procession in the deck, that's another card that you probably pay three for, but it technically counts as six for its mana value. So lots of weird stuff like this. Lots of stuff to explore. And at that point, we might as well look at Windbreast Heights. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> exactly. All right. So I think we should leave it there. Theory crafting is over. It's time to sleeve up the sharks, hop in the queues, and see how it goes. I can't wait, Lawson. Um, yeah. Let's just dive in. Perfect. All right. See you next time. Thanks. Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for more fresh brews from March of the Machine. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.